You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. This morning, we're going to play a game together. I don't know if you all are game players, but we're going to play a game this morning. It's a guessing game or maybe a riddle. If you want to call it that, we're going to play a guessing game. I'm going to describe a word for you, and as I describe this word, at the end, I want you to tell me what this word is. It'll probably, as we go through this, will probably be pretty easy to get, but this word allows for a seasoned traveler to dread an airplane trip while a young child will squeal with delight to get to ride on an airplane. This word can cause one person to think a hot shower is a luxury, depending on where they live at in the world, while another person may think a hot shower is an absolute necessity. This word gives calmness to the coach, while fans are panicked. This word can help parents relax, while grandparents are hysterical, or honestly, vice versa for that matter. It can bring peace in a situation to one person, but complete chaos to another. It can cause one person to be considered a pessimist and another an optimist just based upon whether or not they see a glass of water as half full or half empty. This word can make a statement sound rude or arrogant, yet candid and transparent to another. It can make a painting to a casual observer seem obscure and to a trained artist absolutely brilliant. This word can make the symphony boring to one person but intellectually stimulating to another. Work can be fun because of this word or it could be drudgery to another. This word is often impacted by our age, where we grew up, our knowledge, our experience, and our experiences. This word is extremely powerful because it has the ability to change just about anything in life. What is the word I'm describing? It's perspective. Perspective. The last few weeks, as we've been going through this journey through the Gospel of John, We've been seeing Jesus talk to his disciples about coming suffering in their lives. And as we've continued to walk through these sections in the Gospel of John, we're beginning to realize as a faith family that God calls us his children. God calls us as believers to uncomfortable places and things. There is no guarantee anywhere in Scripture that the Christian life, the life of the believer, is going to be easy and simple. Though we crave simplicity in our lives, life is complex, and just because we follow Jesus does not mean that that simplicity, it does not mean that suffering in our lives is not going to happen. 
And so Jesus is explaining that to his disciples because we have to remember Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross to die for the redemption of the world. And of course, we know that he is going to be resurrected three days later. But Jesus is preparing his followers to start his church, to spread the gospel around the world. Well, if you read the account of that in the, God, in the book of Acts, you will see that as they do that, as the church is established, as the church grows and spreads around the world, that it is met with persecution. It is met with conflict. So Jesus is preparing these guys for this reality that they're going to experience, and he promises them that the Holy Spirit would come and comfort the disciples in the midst of their suffering. In John chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples, the Lord will hate the world will hate you. Expect suffering. He told them in John uh, 16, the first part of John 16, verse 1, he said, you will be banned from your synagogues, your places of worship. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a sacrifice from, to God. Jesus, in the midst of this, he com- continually reminds his disciples that even with this suffering and persecution, the Holy Spirit will come. That the Holy Spirit will come and offer comfort, will offer counsel to be able to endure and persevere through this suffering and persecution that they're going to experience. But this week, what we're going to see here at the end of John 16 is that Jesus is now going to give them a perspective on suffering, a a perspective on hardship. He's going to remind them to have this perspective so that when suffering comes in their lives, when difficulty comes into their lives and complexity comes into their lives, that they will be able to view it with the correct perspective. Last week, Mike shared that even in our suffering, we can have joy. Even in the book of James, it's, James writes to uh, Jewish believers that have been persecuted, that had been spread out because of persecution. James even wrote to them, he said, brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you face trials and tribulations of various kinds. And we read that and think, James, are you nuts? Are you crazy? We ought to count this joy. Like we're supposed to be happy when difficulty and suffering and trial comes in our lives. That's because James had a perspective, a heavenly perspective on suffering. And Jesus is going to share that with his disciples today. And today we are going to see and we're going to learn that as we leave here, we must have a correct perspective on suffering, on difficulty, and on the Christian life. So look at John 16 and verse 25. Last week we saw Jesus give the illustration of childbirth, that even in the pain of childbirth, the pain is temporary, but the result is joy. Jesus was teaching that suffering in this present life is temporary, but if we as believers in, in, uh, if we are believers in him, that the joy and the glories of heaven and the kingdom of Christ will outweigh the present suffering. 
So we're going to continue to see this perspective, this eternal perspective that the follower of Christ must have on life. So let's look at verse 25 of John 16. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming in which I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is laying, again, a doctrinal foundation for these disciples. See, doctrine's important. Jesus always takes his disciples back to the doctrine. What is Jesus? What's the doctrine that Jesus is teaching here? He's teaching that he came from the Father. I am connected to the Father. And Jesus says that the Father loves him. And in these these verses that we've just read, these four verses, we see a full circle of love. Because previously in the Gospel of John, we've seen in chapters 8 and 15 that Jesus remains in the Father's love by being obedient to Him. And then we saw a few weeks ago that the, as, the, as believers and followers in Christ, we remain in Christ's love in order to be obedient to Christ. So then the Father loves the believer because of their love for Christ and believe that He came from God. And so this belief comes full circle to where we look again at verse 27 where Jesus tells the disciples, He says, for the Father himself loves you. Now that phrase would have really registered for the, for the disciples. Because the only other time we see Jesus say this in the Gospel of John is John 3.16. Which is, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus says, for the Father himself loves you. And that would have struck an extremely deep chord with the disciples. Because we have to understand that the only Bible these disciples knew at that time was the Old Testament. And so the disciples would have heard that as God the Father loving them, that Yahweh loved them. That Yahweh, the creator of all things, the God of their father Abraham, the God who had promised to them as the covenant people of Israel that the Messiah was going to come, come to them to save them, that God the Father himself loves them. So all of a sudden, Jesus makes God personal. And oftentimes we can have this far out view of God as if God is this gigantic God, and He is. And that God is the creator of the entire universe, and that is correct. But this great, big God who's laid out this redemptive plan that Jesus came to bring about loves them. So Jesus brings them 
unpack within this teaching around suffering and persecution and difficulty, Jesus brings them back to the simple reality of that God loves you. And how did God's love manifest itself out? Well, he says, verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. So Jesus is painting a picture of the mission that God the Father has sent him on. Now, as we say this, remember, Jesus is equally God. It's not as if God sent one of his kids to save us. He is God in the flesh. And he says, I've come, I came from the Father and I've come into the world to do what? To die for the redemption of the entire world. And so even in the middle of this teaching on suffering, Jesus takes them back to the simple reality of God's redemptive plan. That God loves you. That God himself has come into the world. And then Jesus even goes back to his ascension and his glorification because he says, again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And so we see a full circle of love and the entire redemption thread given here in these few verses. And so as we talk about perspective and suffering, we need to first remember our identity who we are, who we are. Where's a, there's a movie that is really popular in our house right now. It's The Lion King. We are going through a Disney phase in our house right now, whether it's Cars or The Incredibles. We watch The Lion King on Friday night, and there's a scene in The Lion King, and don't look at me like you're crazy. You've seen it. You've got kids and grandkids, so don't judge me for bringing Disney into this. But there's that moment where Simba is running from the pride lands and being king because he thinks he's done something wrong. He thinks he killed his father Mufasa. You remember this? If you haven't, go home and watch it. And in this story, Simba runs from his identity as the true king. And there's that moment where Rafiki, the crazy monkey, comes and Mufasa manifests himself in a storm. And what does Mufasa tell to Simba? Remember who you are. So it's as if Jesus, and I know I don't want to be trite here, but Jesus is reminding his disciples in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trial, in the middle of difficulty, remember who you are. That I came from God. I have come into the world. God the Father loves you. And again, I'm leaving the world and going to the world. But the whole point is God the Father loves you. You are his child. And many times when it comes to suffering in our world, in our lives as believers, it's simply because the part of the difficulty is we forget who we are. We forget our identity. And we need to come back to the simple reality that God loves me. That's why we sing the simple song to our kids, Jesus loves me, this I know. 
We're instilling in our kids our identity as God's child, that God, the Father himself, loves you. And so if your life is chaotic and you are going through difficulty and suffering and maybe depression or whatever else, how it can manifest itself out, remember who you are. That God the Father loves you. And if you are here this morning and your life is completely broken and it is completely chaotic, it may be that for the first time in your life, you need the Holy Spirit to illumine your eyes to that reality is that God loves you. And that Jesus came and died to fix your broken relationship with God. And now he's ascended into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Believe that so you can have that new identity. That you are a child of God. So as we, as we go through difficulty, as we go through trial and tribulation, we must remember our identity. And our identity is someone that is loved. We are someone that is cared for. Let's keep going. Look at verse 29. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. And when I read that, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, haven't you seen all that Jesus done now you're in this place? But he says, by this, we believe that you came from God. All of a sudden, here in verse 29 and 30, the light bulb goes off for the disciples. And what is that light bulb that goes off? Because God the Father himself loves you. And the light bulb goes off, and I, we see it's almost like a conversion experience here because the disciple says, by this we believe you came from God. We see this full circle of love, and we understand our true identity. But let's keep going. Let's see Jesus' response. Verse 31, Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So Jesus responds to this new revelation that they have. They say, by this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus asks them the questions, do you now believe? And he says, a time is coming. He's basically, and it has come, it's here. He's saying, it's here, guys, where you're going to be scattered out and you will leave me alone. And it's almost like Jesus doesn't want any sympathy you know, because he says, yeah, I am not alone because the Father is with me. So again, Jesus goes back to his identity, that he is with the Father, that him and, him and the Father have this intimate relationship. And then verse 33 is huge. He says, I have told you all of these things. He's wrapping up all of the teaching that we've seen in John chapter 13, 14, 
15, and now 16, Jesus puts the bow on this package of teaching of the last four chapters that we've walked through together as a faith family. Jesus wraps all of this up in verse 33. He says, I have told you these things. I have told you these things. So from washing the disciples' feet to teaching them that he is the vine, they are the branches, to reminding them to remain in him, to telling them that suffering and persecution is coming, to telling them that the the Holy Spirit was going to come and bring comfort, peace, and counsel to them. Jesus brings all of this teaching. He boils it down and he says, this is why I'm telling you these things. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You may have peace. So Jesus is telling his followers here, he's saying, remember all the things I have told you in the midst of trials and difficulty and suffering that you're going to experience on my behalf Remember what I've told you. Why? So that you may have peace. So that you may have peace. Then he goes back and reminds them, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus saying there will be sorrow, but he's also saying, but joy will come. See, there's hope. Jesus is offering hope to his disciples. See, in that, Jesus is telling them that at the end there will be hope. He's saying, I have already overcome this world. He says, I have conquered the world. And he's saying this before he's even gone to the cross. He says, I have already overcome, I have overcome and conquered this world and its darkness. There is victory at the end. So, yes suffering will happen. Yes, we will have to endure difficulty, but only for a time. The world that Jesus describes at the end of chapter 15, he told them the world will come against you. That same world that has come against you, that same world that will throw you out of your places of worship, that same world that will kill you in thinking they're offering sacrifices to God, that has already been defeated. So this comes back to our perspective in the midst of suffering, because we have joy and victory to look forward to in eternity. Because Jesus says, be courageous, I have conquered the world. I remember when I was in elementary school, it seemed like everyone at school had a Chicago Bulls jacket. They either had a Chicago Bulls jacket or a Dallas Cowboys jacket. Why? Because in the 90s, those were the two teams that conquered. They won a lot. Because in the 90s, the Chicago Bulls, who did they have? MJ, Michael Jordan. They had number 23 on their team. And it was cool to like the Chicago Bulls. Why? Because of Michael Jordan. In the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys won three Super Bowls. And everyone loves a winner, right? We've, we, it's like you know, something in our DNA. We flock towards a winner, whether it's an athlete, a team, we love a winner. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I have conquered the world. I have conquered. I have won. I have defeated. I have blown the competition out. 
So as we look at the eternal perspective of suffering, we need to remember we're on the winning team. We have won. It's already over. We've won. The result has been fixed. We've won. So as we face trials and suffering, yes, we need to remember who our identity is, that God loves us, but we also need to understand we're winning. We're winning. Our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus, has conquered that even in the midst of suffering and trials and difficulties, even when it feels like we're losing and we just need a win, we've won. Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome the enemy. He has overcome sin. He has even overcome death to where we don't even have to fear death. That as followers of Jesus Christ, death is not an end. Jesus has defeated it. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, Christ has won. And because of this conquering Savior that Christ is, we can have hope and we can have peace. In closing, turn over to Romans chapter 8. If there were a favorite chapter in all the Bible of mine, it's Romans 8. I love Romans 8. When I was in seminary in my spiritual formations class in a semester, we had to memorize all of Romans chapter 8. And if you have not memorized all of Romans chapter 8, I encourage you to do it. You think it's, it's a lot, and it, it may be, but it's, it's just such packed full of truth. It's so rich. Well, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes about the life-giving spirit and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so the victory we have in Christ. And he closes out this chapter, Romans 8, and I'm going to read verses 31 through 39. And as I read it, I'm not going to offer much commentary on it. I'm going to let the Word do the work itself. But as we consider the eternal perspective that we must have as believers and followers of Christ, I want us to allow this inspired, inerrant Word of God to just wash over us. And I encourage you to maybe even go home this afternoon and go back and read through this because there's just not enough time for us to unpack this. But look at verse 31 of Romans 8. Paul writes, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. 
Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and I wish there was an explanation point there, but there's not. Paul's offering an argument, and he's like, no, absolutely not. What Paul says, he says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Does that ring a bell from John 16? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded or I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So faith family, as we talk about suffering and trials and difficulties and tribulations and just flat out bad things that happen in life, this is the perspective we must have. A heavenly perspective, a perspective that this life here on earth is just temporary. But we have a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, to know that we will be with Christ for all of eternity. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you have won, that you have conquered, that you have brought victory and joy. And we thank you for how you defeated sin and death through your your own death and resurrection. And Jesus, even as you told your disciples and you tell us today that there will be suffering, there will be hardship as your followers, and I pray, give us that correct perspective. Help us to abide and to remain in you. Remind us that there is nothing, as Paul said in Romans 8, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And Holy Spirit, I pray if there's anyone here today that has never believed you, I pray that you would open their eyes to this rich reality that you have presented and offered to us. We thank you, God, that you've initiated your love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, woo people to yourself, bring them to yourself through your truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music